Many months ago, we began a, a journey with a selected group of persons from the congregation representing all the different strata of who we are as a congregation called the Congregational Visioning Process, short or long for the short version, CVP. This is a kind of mentor program where a mentor comes into the congregation and walks alongside that group of leaders over a period of months as we study our congregation, study its past history, study who we are in the presence, both those things that make us strong and those things that challenges us. And then we put them all together in order to present them to the congregation, and then we begin to take action on those things that have come out of that work and study. Basically, um, we are now at the end of the what's called the formation stage, where we have put together a lot of work and a lot of ideas coming from across the congregation. And in doing so, we are now ready to enter into the information, what I call the information stage of this process. This sermon today is the first sermon in a series of sermons that will go for a number of weeks that plot out for you not only who we are, but also where we're going in the coming months and years for the next three to five years. So it takes a lot of work to get to that point. That's a lot of careful evaluation. And this Sunday, uh, one of the things we, we put together from this is a series of what's called our church's statements. What is our mission? What is our vision? What are our values? What are the virtues we're trying and seeking to instill in the people who call themselves First Methodist Christians in Carrollton? Well, today I'm going to speak about opening this series with the idea of what is our mission statement? How do we determine exactly what we do as a congregation as a part of the larger picture of the work of the church in the kingdom of God? So we begin with this mission statement, but we're really going to begin with the scripture. Now, I've selected this scripture because I believe it comes the close to defining what we need to have as a mission as a congregation and what we've already had in the past, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But for right now, let's just look at this, this picture presented in the scripture. This is the, <clears throat> the third in a series of confrontations between the temple leaders, the Jewish leadership, and Jesus. Challenge number three, if you will, or confrontation, if you will. They come to him and one of learned among them asked Jesus to question in order to test him, the scriptures say. Which commandment in the law is greatest? Now, as usual, when the, a Jewish leader is asking Jesus a question, it's for the purpose of trying to put him in a bad light, either by giving the wrong answer or by not being able to give a, any answer at all that would be satisfactory to those listening. The reason this one is a catchy one is because which commandment is greatest in the law which one among, are you ready for this, 613 commandments, tradition says, were in the Jewish law at that time. Now, you all know about the Big Ten, right? Try 613. Try living that out on a moment-by-moment basis, right? Try just remembering what they all are. But that was the call to them in order to be faithful at what they did. There was also common in their tradition to say that all of these had to be kept with the same kind of attention. In other words, they're kind of all equally important, although there's also in the tradition examples of where they have what's called the greater commandments and the lesser commandments. So in other words, even then they couldn't get together on the Israelite side of the truth, so why don't we think we're going to today, right? They couldn't do it then. They struggled with it to some degree, but in particular this was to test Jesus to see what he would say. He surprises them by 
quoting from the Shema, right out of what is the, the Israelite confession, the one they all knew by heart. And his response was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says something that they surely weren't expecting, and a second is like it. Now, the force of the, of the language that was origi- written in originally is to say these go together. The second is like it. It means they go together. You can't have one without the other, which I think is very important for our missional understanding of the church. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, this is the foundation of everything else we have as law. Everything the prophets did and said has a foundation in these two sayings, these two commandments. I would say to you that as these two commandments from the Israelite faith are also grounded in the person and life of Jesus, they become more than that. They become the fulfillment of what it means to follow Jesus, to love God, to love your neighbor. This is a summation of what is so difficult to explain and yet can be the easy starting place for all of us. Everyone has an idea about what love means in any culture. And we're able to take these words and use them as a short catechism, if you will, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Surely we can remember these two things, right? But even in just these two things, there's a little bit of a catch. Because really, many writers say this is really not two commandments, but three. It's really a triad of what the gospel is about. You say, what do you mean? And love your neighbor as yourself. I would say there are three great challenges in life. One is to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, which was what Mark says. He says four, love your Lord with all your mind, your heart, your soul, and your strength. Matthew cut it to three for some reason. Nobody really knows why, but he did. But then he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, you must love your neighbor. And Matthew's clear understanding throughout Scripture is that everyone is our neighbor, even our enemies. In fact, Jesus said, you love your enemies. So from that broad understanding, this the whole work and the foundation of the law and the prophets and the work of Jesus is simply that. Love the God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, which is another way of saying with all you are and all you have and all you can. Love God in that way. And then love your neighbor as yourself. You can't separate the two is what Jesus told them here, and it stunned them. You can't separate your love for God from the love of others. I think that's something we try to get across over and over again from the Scriptures, but I'm not for sure we say it quite so bluntly. There are many people in the world who are fine with loving God, but not so fine with loving their neighbors, especially when that means everyone. There are people out there who are fine with loving their neighbor, but they're also fine with loving God. And the truth of it is, you can't really accomplish those two until you have a healthy self-love for yourself. So there's really three components in being a, an overall and a rounded person, I think, that is true. We must love ourselves in a proper light, a healthy self-esteem, if you will, in light of the fact that we're loving completely our Lord God and that we're loving our neighbors with all we have as well. And when you say that and you roll it off your tongue, it sounds fairly easy. Of course, the living out of it is very difficult. But I believe that this was important for us because as I look about at this church in the almost four years now since I've been here, and I start to think about 
who you are and who Jesus came to reveal himself to be when he walked this earth, it all seems to come together for me. Jesus says, this is the way to fulfill the law and the prophets, and this is the way to follow me. Turn it just a little and ask yourself this question as I ask the children. What is at the center of all of the commandments? What is central to this kingdom of God that Jesus preached while he was here on earth? And the simple answer is, it's love. It's a servant kind of love that is identified in his life. When we think about this congregational visioning process, and we think about what our mission is, we came up with this statement, that our mission is creating a community connected to God and others. Okay, you ready? You say, you're going to read it again? We are going to read this mission statement until you can't possibly forget it. We're gonna, not going to put it in a band for you to put it in a box on your forehead as the Israelites did, but we're going to put it on the walls. We're going to put it in your classes. We're going to put it on our literature. We're going to put it on your letters. We want it to become second nature for you. So when somebody says, well, what is your church really all about? You can say that we are creating community connected to God and others. And you say, well, why is that scripture so important to the mission statement? Why do the, how do these scriptures contribute to that? Well, think about it for just a moment. If, we're try, if we create a community that's connected to God, it will be a community of people who know love. It will be a community of people who are loving God. Because a community that is connected to God will love God. We oftentimes think that we have to get people to believe. We have to get people to understand. We have to get people to choose. And all that is true. But the way that really happens is when they get connected to God. Because some people try to believe without being connected to God. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, what it doesn't look like might help us understand what it does look like. Have you ever seen a teenager that wanted to keep your last name and your money and go to college but didn't want to stay connected to you? Yeah, I can get a witness, right? We all want the benefits of being connected to God, but if we're really connected to God, it implies that we love God with all we are, with all we have, with everything we can put into it. And once that love connection is made, we're going to follow his ways. So you cannot do it. And then think about it if we're connected to others. If we love God, it is natural to be connected to others. You say, well, I know some people that love God and go to church every Sunday, but they're not really a people person. They don't want to be connected to anybody. Then they don't really love God yet in the way that God intended. And you say, well, that's kind of strange. strong, isn't it, preacher? And my answer is, yep. Just as strong as Jesus could put it, I would put it the same way. If you want to try and separate your love for others, and that means enemies included from your love for God, you're fighting a losing battle. It won't work. There's a disconnect between your heart and your mind and your soul. There's a disconnect in what you proclaim to be your faith. You can't do it that way. It doesn't work. You say, well, I know a lot of people who are, it's working for them. They're still going to church. You know, a lot of people are going to church. They might not be going to go where I'm going when I die. Right? I'm tempted to say, look to your right. Is that person going to heaven? Look to your left. Is that person going to heaven? And as you look, you say, yeah. But you know, as I told some people very recently at a, at a, at a service for one who passed, we don't really know 
The only one who really knows where we're going is God and the individual. And the only really, really way to know that you are going is to know that you're really connected to God and really connected to others. Otherwise, it's not going to work. It'll be a blown mission because it'll be an imperfect mission. Now, let's think about just what that means when we talk about doing it that way. Picture the life of Jesus, if you will. You think about, okay, what did it mean for Jesus to love God? To love God with all he had. This is the season of Lent. We're on a journey to where? Resurrection, right? We're on the journey to celebrate Easter. It's a, it's a Lenten journey that leads to Easter. But what comes before Easter? What comes on Friday? The cross. That's right. That's why we put the cross, we're going to put the cross up on the screen for you just to remind you that when we talk about loving God, this is what we mean. This is what Jesus did in order to teach us what it meant to be loved by God and to love God. God loves you this much that I would give my very life for you. I would suffer for you. I would do everything I can to put you into a connection with God the Father in heaven, even if it cost my life, and it did. Before that, he gave them a very unique picture to keep in their mind. We call it the, the Last Supper that Jesus took with the disciples, which we remember and celebrate today. But you, the very first part of that supper involved Jesus showing them what it meant to love one another, as it says in the Gospel of John 13, chapter 34th verse, because it's proceeded with Jesus coming into the upper room and washing the disciples' feet because they needed someone to serve them. There was no servant provided at the place where they were celebrating the Last Supper. Nobody was going to stoop down and wash another's feet. In fact, when Jesus went to Peter to wash his feet, Peter was so astounded, he said, no, 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 you, you can't wash my feet. Lord, you're the Lord. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. The way you love is through servant love. People say, well, well I don't really like that servant kind of love stuff, but, but I, do love, I do love to love people. Well, if you don't love to love them in a servant way, you're not loving them in the biblical sense. In the biblical sense, everything Jesus did was about serving God. Everything Jesus was was about servanthood love. He gave his all to allow someone else to be connected to God, knowing that if they ever got connected to God, they would get connected to others. Now, you say, well, what does this look like in a congregation? When we come together, one of the things we try to do is connect people to God. And we're going to be talking a lot about this in the coming months. But right now, let's just start at this simple place. Let's start where we are right now. Let's look at a picture in past days when we were worshiping together. And when you look at that picture, what does that look like? People are standing in honor of God. People have their arms raised. People are singing going on. There's a sense in which the praise and love of God is being expressed openly. Being connected to God means to worship with God. If I have an argument with people who tell me they're Christian, but they just don't like churches, then my question to them is, how do you worship God? Where do you worship God? When do you worship God? And a lot of times they'll say, well, I worship when I go to play golf. And I usually say, liar. I worship when I go fishing. Liar. I actually don't say liar. That wouldn't be a very good witness, do it. I laugh. It really is what I do when they tell me that. Because I've been with a lot of fishermen. I've never heard a sermon yet when I've been fishing with people who are on the lake. Have you? Unless I got close to the shore where a preacher was preaching, trying to get their attention. 
I, I play with a lot, of, a lot of golf. I haven't played a lot of golf on Sunday mornings, but I played a little golf on Sunday afternoons. I used to play, but that's been gone. I don't remember anybody stopping the cart, getting out, and serving communion on the 17th hole. I remember a lot of wine being imbibed, you know, after the 18th hole, but really golf is over then, right? That was more about something else. You see, what I'm saying is this, that worship of God is something that sings our praises to God, that adores God, that is adoration for God, that God is the central focus of what we're doing when we worship God. And so being connected to God means worship, and we love to worship here at this church, and it is a connecting worship. People that come here and visit us feel like they've been in the presence of God because people around them are connected to God. People are not just here in attendance. They are here soaking up God in God's presence. And then lastly, people are not just doing it this way, but people are also connected to people in this congregation. You have a long tradition of that. People who are connected to people. You have all kinds of groups for ministries, women's connection groups, children, youth, adults, Sunday schools, small groups. In fact, soon we'll have a men's ministry that's beginning to sprout and take shape again within our congregation. There are all kinds of ways to be connected to others, not just in the church, but especially outside the church as well. And we're going to be concentrating on that because we're not trying just to connect the people here with God, but we're trying to connect all the people here with others who are not here and not in any place or in any way worshiping God and feeling connected to other people in loving relationships. The mission of the church, from the, our point of view, is to create a community where people are connected to God and to others, both inside the church and outside the church is the implied meaning. And we are going to organize ourselves in the coming weeks so that we can really get back to what first church came to be in the late 70s, in the early 80s, that some of you still remember. A church that not only is on fire on the inside, but a church that is on fire outside. A church that is investing equally in the lives of others who are in the church to the same extent that they invest themselves in the lives of people who are in the church. That's what was going on then, when at the very core of your being was your personal witness and sharing your story with others, reaching out to people who didn't have a church home or were not in a relationship with God at all. I've heard it over and over again from people who said, well, I, I found my salvation as an adult through this church and somebody came and told me about Jesus. Some of you are still doing that, I know that. But it has not been the focus enough of the congregation in the right ways within our culture that we are able to transcend what the culture is experiencing, what they believe about the church by the way we are living. We must be more radical in the way we serve and love in order to get the attention of a, of a whole nation that is about evenly split now on Jesus. There are nations that are no, not even easy, they're not evenly split at all. In fact, I had somebody sent me a message about, about a message about uh, the people of France. You know that many of the churches in France have now been turned into mosques. And they're, they're considering legal laws that will allow uh, the Muslim faith to be more into the culture they have by giving them, basically, it sounds like access to the churches. <laughs> giving them access to the churches built for our Lord Jesus Christ so that they can go and worship Allah there. That's what can happen to nations when they lose sight of the uniqueness of the God who calls us to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. 
begin to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. When we cease to be that kind of church on that kind of mission, then the church of Jesus Christ gets static and stalls and sometimes even declines. But that is not what we're going to do. That is not who we are. We're going to study the culture, and we're going to reach out in ways that have an impact. We're not, and you say, well, what if they say no? Maybe they'll all say no. But we, if we are faithful in reaching out, we have done our part. We have served our Lord. We have loved our Lord so much and loved others so much that we have unabashedly attempted to give ourselves in love to them, to serve them, so that they can see what it's like to be loved by God and to love other people and share community with them. That's what we're going to do. God will take care of the results. We don't have to worry about that.